0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to Turn on the Jets' digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for the latest news and the weekend mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man?
3: I'm ready for this draft to come. (laughs) i'm I'm that i'm I'm that gif i'm that sam darnold gif that they put out last year where he's just tapping his wrist like there's a watch on it like get here just can we get over this already it just just skip it all just start it let's see just tell us who they who the players are
2: i think i'm with you on that as well i've had my fill of arguing these points you texted me yesterday and you said hey man you tired of fighting these people on these ridiculous Quinn and Williams non-points yet? And I said to you, yes, I am very tired of it, but I'm still going to do it because somebody has to. <laughs> somebody has to. Hey,
3: there's not the what's the you're not the hero you deserve, but the one we, that's needed.
2: <laughs> I don't like doing this, but over and over again, it's the same silly arguments. And when we get into the mailbag, we'll talk about this a little bit more. But I will say before we start with the news, you have news of your own, Chris. In addition to the Jets insider family, somebody that's very familiar to turn on the Jets digital because he helps me produce this show. Alan Schechter, who is formerly at Empirerightsback.com, and as you know, does a ton of the research for this podcast, specifically on the History Show. He has joined the ranks over at Jets Insider as deputy editor. And Chris, I can tell you, I personally vouch for how good he is and how hard he's going to work for you. A tremendous move, dare I say, even a better move than anything Mike McCagney could do during round one of the NFL draft at pick number three.
3: Yeah, I absolutely hit that one out of the park there. Uh, yeah, Alan's going to come join uh, join us over at Jets Insider, do a bunch of articles, help me with some, you know, editing and stuff. It's, you know, obviously covering uh, an NFL team all by yourself is is a bit much, can be a bit taxing, so it'll be nice to have him along. He obviously does great work, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Just uh, have, having a little tr- trouble with some login issues, I got get set up for him, but once that's gone, they will start pumping out a lot of material content for you guys.
2: Alan Schechter and the very big deal, Chris Nimbly, together. What a combination. And I have to say, I guess this means that Alan is going to be junior big deal in training, although I'm still well ahead of him on the big deal ranks because I've been learning at your feet for a while now, Chris.
3: Yeah, exactly. You got you got you got more reps than him. You, he's he's gonna have to step up his his reps and get on. You got you got a little more experience there, working already worked up. So he's got a lot of catching up to do.
0: Lucky
1: Land Casino
0: asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?"
1: Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office
2: With your personal news out of the way, Chris, let's talk about the news circling around the Jets right now. We've got a report from your colleague, Ralph Vacchiano, over at SNY that we're going to get to in a second. But first, I want to talk about something that I addressed with Daryl Slater yesterday. I brought up the idea that Frank Clark might be on the trade block. He said that he doesn't think that the Jets would make a strong move. And then, of course, hours after that, and I have to tease Daryl about this, (laughs) The reports came out from Tony Pauline and Rich Simini that the Jets really like Clark, that they would have been willing to pay him a boatload if he had become a free agent, that they did try to trade for him already, and that Seattle wanted picks that they don't have, and that if the Jets are able to trade down in the draft and acquire extra picks, they might use some of those picks to get Frank Clark from Seattle. So here's what I want to know, Chris. First of all, have you heard anything about this? And second of all, you think it's possible that even if the Jets don't trade down, they find a way maybe after the draft to package picks from next year's draft the way that San Francisco did with Kansas City and D. Ford?
3: Yeah, uh, here's the thing. So uh, I think that the after the draft, maybe some next year picks, that would be the most likely way for this to get done. Uh, Like you said, they don't really have the ammo to do that now. I can't see them being able to really pull off a draft deal trade because they're going to have to do uh, negotiate a contract and do all that stuff. That's usually how the, that stuff goes. You have to, you know, the team gives him permission to go negotiate a contract before the deal is over and everything uh, to pull off a draft day trade will be tricky for them to do that. It, I'm not going to rule it out because they could just roll the dice and say, all right, whatever, we'll get them here. At least we have them for this year, then we can work out from there. But, you, I mean, we'll, actually, they can't even do that because Frank Clark has to sign the, his uh, franchise tag tender before he can be traded. He's not uh, on the team. So never mind all that stuff I just said. Um, they they won't <laughs> be able to pull off a draft day trade. Uh, I I checked into it, uh, you know, I checked into it before when we first started hearing the rumors about uh, Frank Clark, you know, being shopped. And I was told the same thing I was told when I last checked in. McCann is going to make calls on any player of that caliber. Anytime there's a possible whisper or rumor that somebody of that caliber is available, He's going to call and he's going to check in. And he's going to see what the price is. You know, I mean, if, if he could have him for a fourth round pick, then he'd do it in a heartbeat. If he could have him for one of those third round picks, then yeah, he's going to do it. The Seahawks are probably going to be wanting more. Uh, you know, you, I know people will point at the, what the chiefs got back for D Ford. They were switching from a three, four to a four, three. They didn't like the fit. Uh, you know, the Seahawks don't have any changes like along those lines. They, they signed Russell Wilson. They still have a little over $9 million in cap space this year. And next year, they only have like 12 guys on the roster that are getting paid over a million dollars. And they only have like 12 or 13 guys on the roster uh, on under contract the year before. So they have plenty of flexibility in the future to go ahead and pay Frank Clark and just look at the way that the Russell Wilson stuff went down and how, you know, we're hearing the rumors that he wants out. He wants New York. The Seahawks will don't really are looking to maybe go cheaper. And then he becomes the richest quarterback ever in the history of the game. So this, a lot of this stuff is just posturing. It's just one side leveraging for the other side, I still tend to think that Seattle is going to end up keeping Frank Clark, especially with the style of football they want to play, where they, it doesn't make sense why you want to have Russell Wilson as your quarterback and pay him that to run a ball control, ground and pound offense, but that's what they're doing. And in order to pull that off, you need a Frank Clark on your team to hold it down for the defense. So I still think it's a stretch that is probably not going to happen, and the Jets probably don't have the ammo to do it right now. But if it were to happen, it would make most sense to be able to wait until after the draft and then to say, okay, well, here's a second next year or whatever and move on. But I, I expect Frank Clark to still be in Seattle. But who knows? I could end up like Daryl and have some egg on my face because that's a huge part of this job. You say something and then two seconds later, something completely changes.
1: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: I think that the Jets should check back in during the draft. Maybe even if they don't trade down, they could pry Clark away with their third this year, which is almost like a low second rounder, as well as an extra pick in next year's draft. Maybe not, but it's worth finding out. And then if Clark isn't dealt... By the end of the draft, I would check in again and start talking about next year's picks. Why not? You're talking about a guy who's 25 years old and can get you double-digit sacks. If you have a chance to get him and you have the salary cap space to make it work, why not? If not, the other guy, and we've talked about him already, is Jadavian Clowney. I don't think he's as good of a pass rusher as Frank Clark. But he does help, certainly better than anything that they currently have. So that's a guy that you might want to check in on. Mike McKagan was the director of college scouting for the Houston Texans when they drafted him. He obviously still has ties in the Texans' front office. So that's a possibility too. But right now, keep your eye on the Frank Clark situation because it certainly bears monitoring, as does Mike McKagan's behavior as it pertains to the number 3 overall pick. It is assumed that if McCagnin stays there, he will be picking between one of three people, Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams, and Josh Allen. However, we've also talked quite a bit about how we believe that McCagnin's preference above all else is to trade down, pick up extra picks. This is not my preference. This is his, I think. We don't know for sure. We're just guessing. And now Ralph Facchiano has thrown himself into the guessing wins as well. Coming out with a report today saying that League executives believe that McCagnon is looking to trade that pick and at least recoup the second rounder that he gave up for Sam Darnold last year. I will say two things. The first is, I'm not surprised by this. The second is, I wouldn't do this because I don't think that you should ever prioritize just quote unquote getting extra picks. If somebody makes you the right offer or a really good offer, fine. But I think you have to weigh the players that are on the board at the time versus the value of what you're getting in a trade down. And you cannot just trade down for the sake of trading down. I'm not saying McCagnon's going to do that, but I hope that's not where his head is right now, that he just thinks, I have to trade down, and so whatever the best offer I get is, I'll take it. I hope his mindset is that he's only going to take an offer that's really worth it.
3: Yeah, the, this report, you know, it's, it's not a secret. I mean, McCagnin has been – he hasn't really tri- tried to hide the fact that he he's willing and able and wanting to trade down. So that's not a secret. The fact saying that he's determined is a little much because that makes it sound like he's willing to almost accept anything just to trade down for more picks and then to at least recoup the second pick. So – that Now, if that's all you're getting back in the trade, then there's going to depend on a few things. Obviously, you're you're not trading with uh, Washington down to 15 and only getting a second back. That would be ludicrous. And if he does that, then he will get crushed, and I will be at the forefront crushing him for doing that. If he's dropping back and, you know, only dropping uh, back, like with the Bears and 49ers did a couple years ago, he drops back with the Raiders and just gets a second pick. Okay, that's fine. And then if, if, it depends on who their pick at three would be if he's saying well if i'm stuck at three and i want to go with josh allen and then okay maybe i'm willing to go ahead and trade back to you know four five six seven eight whatever and then just take a second and then just take you know sweat or burns then that won't be as big of a deal there uh but you're trading out of that spot and i'm You know, we have a disagreement here because I've said this uh, before, I'll say it again, that for me, if I was in charge, I would give me more picks. I'd need at least three picks, extra picks, probably four, but I want those extra picks to build the offense around Sam Darnold. I want offensive linemen. I want another weapon for him. I want a tight end. I want this, those guys, and it's like a perfect storm here because a, a lot of the value in this draft is late first, second round, third round. That's where a lot of the value is. You can, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that's where the value is there, and you can trade down and gather those picks, collect and really upgrade the offensive line. And I know people will say, you know, Beecham, Shell, the, they're they're fine for now. But if you can get an a tackle that will be able to replace them in the future, you you better not pass on taking an offensive lineman because of Beachum or Brandon Shell, obviously. So I would go for trading down, but I, you know, unless it's just trading down with the Raiders, he better get a lot more than just a second round pick to do that trade.
2: I've talked about why my preference is not to trade down. We'll go through it again, I'm sure, once we go through the mailbag here. But I understand where you're coming from, and I wouldn't be against it if it's a real haul. But other than that, I just think that if you have two elite prospects there and one of them is available to you, you've got to take him unless somebody makes you a really big offer. But like I said, we'll get into more of that as we dip into the mailbag first with Sean Stalker, who says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley what's the most surprising thing the Jets could do in round one that's grounded in some reality? Also, can the very big deal Chris Nimbley explain why he called Oreos trash on last week's podcast, but then later admitted in a tweet that cookies and cream is the best ice cream flavor? He's got an interesting point on that one, Chris, and I'm going to let you explain yourself. It does seem to be a little bit of a contradiction, so I'm curious to hear your answer, but I'll start with the question about the most surprising thing that could be grounded in reality, I don't think that it's likely to happen, but since we're going surprises, let's say the Kyler Murray thing is all a smoke screen, and Bosa and Quinn and Williams go off the board one and two. I think in that scenario, it is possible that instead of going with Josh Allen if they can't get a decent trade offer, they might go with either Jawan Taylor or Jonah Williams. Again, I don't expect it, But you asked me for some sort of surprise, crazy scenario, so that's it right there. I think that is the least likely scenario that could maybe actually happen, even if there's a small chance of it. So Chris, I'm curious what your answer to that is, and also how you explain yourself on the seeming contradiction between Oreos and cookies and cream ice cream.
3: The the, the second answer is very simple, and there's there's no contradiction there. It's very simple and easy, uh, but I'll get to that for uh, later. Uh, the biggest. I I would just piggyback off the last thing. The biggest surprise grounded in reality is that McCagnan would trade back t- with the the Bengals and just get a second round pick in return, I uh, like something like that. I could see McCagnan settling for a very underwhelming offer. To uh, just pick up an extra pick or two, I could see that happening. It w- it wouldn't be a good move, but I could see that happening. I could also see. I think your your answer is a really good one. And or uh, just to go a little bit more to see them go after you know a a DK Metcalf or you know a weapon for Darnold, a, a Hawkinson or something. I don't expect any of those things to happen, but I I could I could see it happening. It would definitely be a surprise. And there's a this, this slim possibility there. Now, as for this uh, cookies and creams Oreos thing, this is very simple. An Oreo, the cream in the Oreo is good. The chocolate cookie overpowers it. It's too much. I don't like that. It's too much chocolate, and it's like a chalky type of chocolate. It doesn't taste good. There's not enough cream to overpower that. You put little teeny tiny chunks of the Oreo cookie, and you mix it in with that the ice cream, the vanilla of the ice cream, the cookie, you barely taste that. It's just a little hint of it, and that gets covered up by the taste of the ice cream, that, and the ice cream is delicious. That little hint of it is perfect, but the actual cookie, that chocolate cookie overpowers it too much. It's just like I said, the golden Oreos are great, because of the cream and that cookie is better, but that chocolate cookie itself I do not like unless you are going to severely overpower it with ice cream. So the cookies and cream ice cream is without a fact the best ice cream, but just that that, that chocolate cookie is just, it's just too much. I don't like it, it's too much chocolate. I need, I need balance in there if you're gonna give me
1: chocolate. Okay, round two, name something that's not boring laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumba chumbacasino.com no process by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
0: this is the overtime podcast network
2: As somebody who likes both Oreos and cookies and cream, I do kind of see your point because I do like Oreos, but cookies and cream ice cream is way better than straight-up Oreos. So I could see where you would say that. However, I do disagree with your take about Oreos being trash, but I can see why you could not love Oreos but love cookies and cream ice cream. It does make some sense, even though at first it seems a little wacky. Speaking of wacky, Jets Joe 73 not that he's wacky but we're talking about wacky moves the Jets might make he says what after the draft free agents do you expect the Jets to look at I would say Wisniewski is a guy that they might circle back to assuming he's still available because they may be looking for another guy to get into the center mix especially if they don't draft a center Beyond that, man, i really have to look at who's even still on the board. I think most of the guys that they would be looking at are guys that would be camp cuts. I don't think anybody yes. major is going to be coming out after the draft that they would go after. I think most of the free agents they would sign would be undrafted free agents. But I guess Wisniewski is probably the one guy that they might circle back to.
3: Yeah, I mean, they could do that, uh, You know, especially if they you know, aren't able to get somebody in the draft. They like to fill in there. But, you know, I'm, I I took a look at who's available. I don't really see them signing any of those guys. I do see them going and signing, you know, picking up a couple veterans that are, are cut during training camp and all that. So it, that's really a hard uh, question to answer without knowing which guys are going to be cut by which teams because they're going to make those moves for sure. But we don't know who's going to be cut yet, so it's that's hard to tell. Uh, but I don't see anyone out there right now like – you know would Indominus Sue help, of course, and Sue would help, but yeah, you know, I don't know, especially we heard about how Christopher Johnson wasn't really uh excited about the idea of having him last year uh so, but that that's who would else is out there that could possibly excite you? That's the only one that could actually excite you so i, I don't see anybody that's out there right now, but they will absolutely add some guys uh, after the cut.
2: Next question comes in from my man, Kevin Jackson, Spotty Blackman, one of my favorites. He says, how many offensive line additions in this draft would be too few? That's an interesting question. I think they really need to make investments in the offensive line if they can. I'm not going to tie myself to picking offensive linemen at any specific spot just for being offensive linemen, but do I have a preference for them going after offensive line in the third and the fourth round, all things equal? Yeah, I do. I don't think it would be a smart move at number three. Maybe if they trade back, then they could talk about it. In the third round, there are other guys that have my eye on, too, in addition to some offensive linemen. But I would definitely like to see them add a couple of offensive linemen, two or three in the third or fourth, if all things are equal.
3: Yeah, this you know, the answer to this depends largely on if they're able to trade down or not. If they're able to trade down and gather more picks and they have, you know, nine or 10 picks, then my answer is going to be more. When I do some of these, uh, you know, mock draft simulations things, I've done where I've traded down a couple times and I've drafted five offensive linemen. <laughs> like, just just go ahead, have an entire new unit ready to go out there just in case. Um, but if they're stuck, if, if they don't trade down and they only have six, I'm still saying you need at least two. You need a center and you need another guard, or you know maybe a tackle who can play guard, or just another. You need you need to try to get two. And the biggest reason why I'm going to hold out of that because you know when you only have six picks to say that like you need to get two offensive linemen, that on its face is something I would normally strongly disagree with. But when you look at McCagnan and the way that he has how little attention he has paid to offensive line in the draft. We've talked about this on in the pods before. Brandon Shell's is the only one he's drafted of any, you know, actual value that's ever actually played. When you look at his history, He can't continue to ignore the offensive line. Not when you have Sam Darnold going into his second year trying to build off that. He really needs to make a concerted effort to stop trying to reshape and rebuild the offensive line through free agency every year, but to try to grab a couple guys in the draft and have them ready. So I'm going to say if they has those six picks, it needs to be at least two. If they get up to nine or ten picks, then we're talking about probably three maybe even four, but, uh, you know, at least two with those picks.
2: Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, Do you think McCagnon will stick to giving his coaches lots of say in the draft? If so, based on history, who do you think Gason Williams would want with the first three picks? Also, if McKagan doesn't go that route, do you think that the more conservative philosophy was more because of Bowles than McKagan? So we'll start with the first part of this. As far as who Gase and Williams would want with the first three picks, I'm not going to think about who they're going to want with the third round picks because it's impossible to really answer that without knowing who's on the board off the top of my head. I'll just say, and this is kind of a lazy answer, but it's kind of obvious. Williams would want the best available defensive players and Gase would want the best available offensive players. But as far as the number three overall pick, if they stay at number three, it gets a little tricky. So let's say Kyler Murray goes number one. Now, Obviously, we don't know if Quentin Williams, Josh Allen, or Nick Bose is going to go number two. I know people are saying I'm crazy. How could you think Josh Allen's going to go number two? Well couple days before the draft, everybody thought it was insane that Baker Mayfield might go number one, and it happened. So you never know. Maybe the 49ers love his tape, and they love his upside, and they think he's going to be the next Khalil Mack, and none of us know about it, and they surprise everybody and pick Josh Allen. So let's assume that those three guys are probably going to be in the discussion in some form for that number three overall pick. Let's work through the scenarios. If Bose is off the board, I think that in that case, Gase probably would want Quinn and Williams, and I'm just going to say mostly because I know he's got that tight relationship with Nick Saban, and I'm sure he sees him as the dominant player that he was at Alabama. As far as Greg Williams, man, that's a tough one to say. I think Greg Williams would definitely love to have a pass rusher the way he had Miles Garrett, but the question comes down to, does he see Josh Allen as that type of player? If he does, then he probably wants Allen. If he doesn't, then he probably wants Quinn and Williams. That's really the best answer I could give you, just guessing. And as far as with Bosa, I think... If he is on the board, there will probably be a consensus among all three major decision makers, Gase Williams and McCagnin, that Bosa is the pick. I would take Quinn and Williams over him if the two of them are both available. I don't expect both of them to be available, but if they were, I'd take Williams over him. But I think that McCagnin, Williams and Gase would probably all prefer Bosa just because of the fact that they know they could plug him in right away and he could be that quote-unquote bitch-kitty pass rusher, as Mike Pettin used to like to call it. Again, I think Quinn Williams is a better player, and they may even think so slightly, and I think that Allen has more upside, but I just think that Bosa is such a sure bet, barring medical problems, that they would probably all prefer him. As far as the second part of the question If he doesn't defer to the coaches, does it mean that the conservative philosophy was more because of Bowles? Maybe a little from column A and a little from column B. It's really hard to say. Maybe in some cases McCagnon was the one that erred on the side of caution, and maybe in others it was Bowles. Maybe sometimes it was some of the other guys in the scouting department that were really pounding the table. Overall, it was a relatively conservative philosophy. We know that they tended to favor guys that had high floors, and a lot of times they drafted guys based on quote-unquote intangibles and character, guys that were older, went to smaller schools. We're going to find out real quick if that's the way that they continue to go, whether it's a matter of McCagnon changing course because he realized that didn't work so well, or whether it's because it was balls putting pressure on him to do it and Gason and Williams want to go in another direction we will see but it's definitely an interesting question just my own guessing I would say it's probably a little bit of both that both McKagan and Bowles tend to be more conservative in their drafting patterns
3: yeah there's a lot to unpack here there's a whole a lot of interesting uh ways to look at this and to examine it and unravel it here because we know that McKagan has allowed his coaching staff, a lot of leeway to make picks uh, before. And, you know, that that has backfired on them a lot, especially in the middle rounds. Um, so, I, I, you know, is he going to continue to do that? Or is he going to be like, yo, listen, you know, my job's getting on the line, getting close to on the line. I can't afford to sit here and let another guy go. I think he'd be more inclined to do that with Gase because he's the, you know, obviously the new head coach. Um, if he is going to listen to Greg Williams, then you got to think that, you know, with the way that uh, obviously uh, Greg Williams was a big part of the reason why they were so interested in Anthony Barr and giving him rush for money. So you got to think that Greg Williams would like what he sees in Josh Allen. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you that I still think that they would go Bosa over Allen if Bosa is available there. Uh, but it would be interesting to see what he'd do if it's between Quinn and Williams and uh, Allen there. D- does Greg Williams carry some pu- push for Allen because he sees a similar player to Barr and he can get a lot out of him there. And then does McCagnan listen to him or does he go with, uh, with Quinn and Williams? But then again, we don't know how McKagan himself has those ranks. So there's a lot of guessing here. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, you got to look. The one thing we can probably look and see, that, and this again, if he if he goes back to the whole drafting, you know, twenty four year old, twenty six year old players, then that's gonna we're gonna be like, all right, yep, that that was definitely all McCagnin. Uh But if he doesn't, if he stays away from it, that doesn't necessarily mean that Bowles was pushing for that. It could just mean McCagnan finally learned his lesson there. Um, but, you know, it, there's a lot to unpack and unravel there. We'll be able to see a little more how it unfolds. Uh, I tend to think that with McKagan, uh, you know, at least getting close to uh, the edge here of having to have, you know, with his job a little more on the line, that he at least earlier in the draft, that number three pick he's going to want to make sure he has the conviction of it. He, I'm not saying he won't listen and lean on them, but he's going to have to feel 100% about that guy being the right pick uh, to take at three. And those third, fourth rounds, he'd probably be more willing to lean on the coaches there. And one thing to keep an eye out there, if he's giving Adam Gase some leeway there, expect Adam Gase to try to pick up a really fast receiver. Uh, we've we've seen that's what that's what Gase likes and he works really well with that I do expect them to look especially with this class this receiver class is really deep uh, there's a lot of really good players there you could see him going after one of uh, the Ohio State guys if they're still there Paris Campbell probably won't be uh, you could see them going after one of the uh, Georgia guys uh, so look for that uh, but you know I think that's a good pick regardless so to, if you get one of those types of players, a really good fit in that uh, Adam Gase offense, so we'll see what happens there. But there's, you know, it's interesting. I think he's going to lean on them a little bit. But if I if I was in his spot, I'd be a little scared too. I'd be saying, you know, that this has backfired on me numerous times. I need to be the one making the decision because you, you. a lot of fans sit there and try to say, you know, oh, well, he didn't actually make the pick. No, you allowed that pick to happen. You made that pick. In fact, it might in some ways it's kind of worse that you allowed somebody else to just say that you're the GM. It, this all falls on you no matter what.
2: Next question comes in from Shane Corbett. He says, knowing how highly you rate Quinn and Williams, do you think any team would try to trade up for him if he's available at number three? Same question for Bosa if the 49ers take Williams and Bosa is the one that is available. So let me make this clear right off of the bat. Nobody in NFL circles cares even a little bit what I think. No one even knows what I think. It has nothing to do with me. My opinion just happens to coincide with a lot of people that are draft people or film watchers or people in NFL circles, according to reports. So it's not because of me that anybody would like Quinn and Williams. Let me just put that out there because I've had people Don't say... Don't sell
3: yourself short, Scott. <laughs> That's I, not what a very <laughs> big deal would do.
2: That's true. I should take a little more credit if I'm going to get into big deal circles. The funny thing about it is I've had people say to me, what are you on the take? Is he paying you? Is this guy related to you? What's going on? Listen, I just think he's an awesome player. Trust me, if they're paying people off to say nice things, they would pay off people with much bigger platforms than me. They'd be going to somebody like Connor or Matt Miller Or somebody like that, not me Believe me So I like Quentin Williams a lot as a player Because I think he's an awesome player And I think he would be a tremendous player for the Jets For a really long time Having said all of that I think it's certainly possible that somebody would want to trade up for Quentin Williams or Nick Bosa. In fact, I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would. The question is, how much would they be willing to give up? Now, me, I'd be willing to give up a pretty solid package, but I don't know that there are a lot of NFL executives that feel that way because what tends to happen is, unless you're dealing with somebody that people believe is some generational type of talent and i mean if we were talking about miles garrett at the pass rush position if somebody was like this guy is definitely the next miles garrett i have to have him or you're talking about receivers like julio jones i've got to get julio jones i've got to make this big move up he's a transcendent talent somebody like that other than cases like that generally only times that teams make huge moves for a quarterback. Now, I know that the Saints made the Marcus Davenport yeah. move last year, but even that, it wasn't to get all the way up to number three. It was to get a pick in the middle of the round. That was kind of the reverse Bobby Bethard thing, where Bobby Bethard would trade his first rounder the following year for a second rounder that year. That was the Saints saying, we'll trade you next year's spoils for this year's guy that we really like. I don't see it happening in terms of the Jets getting major offers for Bosa or Williams, whichever one is on the board. I think they'll get offers for sure because just by having the virtue of the third overall pick in the draft, teams are going to inquire. But I could definitely see a scenario where the best offer is something like what Chris outlined earlier, Cincinnati calling up and offering a second-round pick. So it could be a decent offer, and as you know, it only takes one team. And if I was a general manager, I would certainly be willing to give up a pretty good package to go up and get Quinn and Williams or Nick Bosa. But I don't know that that's where these people's heads are at because, like I said, I think unless it's a quarterback, a team has to be 1,000% convinced that this guy is going to be one of the greatest players in the history of the sport to try and make some sort of insane splash like that. A lot of times it backfires, too. Look at, say, Sammy Watkins with Buffalo You never know how it's going to work out. So I guess my answer is, short's possible, but I don't think it's likely. Even if teams believe that Quentin Williams is going to be as good as I think he is, or that Nick Bosa is going to be as good as most people think he is, they probably just figure it's not worth some sort of major draft haul for a non-quarterback.
3: Yeah, well listen, whether they they get to, you know, San Francisco turns in their pick at 2, and whether it's Quinn Williams or Nick Bosa sitting there the jets phone is going to start ringing immediately it, he he is going to get offers uh, whether that's going to and uh, the teams will be willing and wanting to trade up for either of those guys they're both that good will they be willing to give up enough for it to be worth it, for, for you know, for McCagnan to be good with it, for you to be okay with it, that's a whole different story. Who knows? But I wouldn't be surprised. Both these guys are really good. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, you know, the the thing that hurts is, like you said, we are talking about the, my, the Marcus Davenport thing. Like, you look at somebody like the, the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs could feel like they – They're just one uh, path rusher away from being able to make it to the Super Bowl this year, but that's going to be way too big of a drop for the Jets, and they're not going to be able to – the Chiefs are going to probably give up enough to do that, uh, make that huge of a jump. So they're going to get calls, and especially because everybody around the world and league knows that McKagan wants to trade, they're going to get calls. They're going to get a lot of low ball offers with those calls it's a question of if they'll be able to get one good enough and now if you can again go back to if you can just trade down a couple spots if you could just you know maybe Tampa Bay would love to have Quinn Williams and maybe Tampa Bay sitting there at five will say hey we will give you a second and a third or a second and you know a a third a second next year something like that and then you only have back two spots maybe that would work out They're going to get the calls 100%. There's no way for us to know, um, you know, if it'll be worth it and if uh, what McCagnin determines is worth it. But they're definitely going to get calls, especially with everyone knowing McCagnin wants to trade down. People are going to try to fleece them, So he's got to hold strong and be like, no, this isn't enough. I need more. But uh, they're definitely going to – the opportunity is going to be there. It's just a question of if it's going to be good enough.
2: Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, theoretically, if one of the top two or three players on the Jets board turned out to have some character concerns, not anything illegal or anything like that, but a character concern that might make you question whether or not he would fit in well with the other players in the locker room, how big of a pause do you think that would be for the team in terms of whether or not they would want to select him? Do you think that that is something that the teams weigh very, very high on their list of concerns? It's funny, Chris, because we were just talking about this before we started recording about character concerns and how we would weigh them because you made a great point and I'm going to let you expand on it and I think it's very valid. We can't really pretend to know the extent of these character concerns to the level that these NFL teams do because we don't have investigators looking into this. We don't have all the information. These teams are going to know things that obviously people like me and even people like Chris who is a trained reporter is not going to know about. So, it's very difficult to know how highly they should be concerned about some of these supposed character issues. That's going to be a team by team thing as far as whether or not they think it's something that should really knock the guy down the board and whether or not they trust the information that they have and how much they think that that information that they have on the player would impact him negatively. So,. It's a hard question to answer. I would say it depends on what it is that you're talking about character concern-wise and it would depend on the severity of the information, but really the best answer I can give you is it depends on what the team is dug up and how much they trust what they have. Yeah,
3: uh, th- this is the thing. i because I've gotten in arguments with people uh, over the and you know past years about, you know, how can you rank this guy this high with this I, I can't for me. Sitting here as somebody who has never met this person who doesn't have the ability to, like you said, hire investigators to go around and uh, talk to people who actually know him, talk to their friends and family and teammates and that stuff. I can't do all that. So for me, when I'm judging a player, I completely Unless the, it's like the player's getting arrested, which I know he qualified this, and we're not talking about that. Unless the problems are so bad that I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, take this guy completely off the board, I, I can't comment on the character things. Now, I will mention that there's some concerns about the character, so I can understand why a team would pass if they find information out. But I really hate judging people and their character when I don't know them and especially in sports because we see how – things get twisted around all the time. We see how things get taken out of context and spun. We've heard so many stories about somebody being such an awful teammate and then all of a sudden a a whole bunch of his teammates come to his defense and then people say, oh, what do you want him to say? And we did this last year, you know, there was some of it with Baker, there was some of it with Rosen. Rosen, his teammates hated him, everybody hated him, and then all of a sudden a bunch of his teammates came out to defend him. Oh, but if only those guys defending him, them. Everybody else must hate them, and they have some type of motive. And I, I can't sit here and do that. And it's the same thing with injuries too. Injury concerns. I will make a note of it, but I'm not a doctor. I don't have a chance to look at their medical cart charts. And even if I did, I wouldn't understand what it meant. So I will make a note of it, but I can't put that in my evaluation there. And I don't think that fans should be doing that either. Fans take sports way too personally, and they do this, and they act like they know these players just because something's reported about somebody. Just pump the brakes, wait until you get more information on them. But for for the NFL teams, they do have the ability to get a much better answer on this stuff, to have a much clearer picture on this stuff. And then also you got to look, and then you, you know, maybe it's somebody that – maybe they have somebody uh, on the Jets already who went to the same school as them. They can go talk to them and get some background information. Or they can go to Jamal and they can be like, what do you know about this guy? Do you feel comfortable that maybe you can bring him under the wing and make sure that everything's good? So there's lots of things that they can do along those lines. But if you see them pass on a player that has, you know, that – is a great player, but it has some terror concerns or whatever, then it might be fair to wonder that that's the reason why they passed on him. And again, sometimes, sometimes uh, us in the media, we make way bigger things out than they are, and sometimes we ignore things that should be made into a bigger deal. So I hate doing that stuff. But if I'm an NFL team, that's a whole different story. We're about to pay you a whole bunch of money, millions and millions of dollars, where you're passing up the opportunity to go with somebody else who could we know could be really good, you have to look into all of that stuff and make a concerted effort to get down to the you know as much as you can and they that's what they'll do they you know they, they like you said they hire private investigators to figure this stuff out former FBI agents and stuff these teams have a much better uh, feel than that uh, we do, and the stuff that we hear in the media is a lot of times one team will put out a bunch of stuff about this guy having terrible character, and they're putting it out because they want him to fall in the draft. They don't believe it themselves; they want him to fall to them in the draft. So you know, it's that time of year, it's the silly season, all that stuff. But uh, the, the teams have to do that legwork, and I I just kind of stay out of it because there's no way for me to judge.
2: I think if there's a clear pattern, Brandon Marshall would be an example. Only the teams would know whether or not he's finally gotten his stuff together. But obviously, if you looked at Brandon Marshall and just saw issue after issue after issue with teammates on top of the other stuff, you might say, okay, I question whether or not it would be a wise move to bring this guy into the locker room. Obviously, they still have more information than you do, but I could kind of see making a judgment on that ...based on a pattern of behavior. As far as medical, that's way out over our area of expertise. That's why I was glad to talk to somebody like Dr. Steven Stoller... ...who, by the way, I'm going to have back on the show... After the Jets conduct their draft Because if they draft somebody Especially towards the top That has had any kind of medical issues in the past Particularly Nick Bosa if they get him I want to hear his thoughts on this Because obviously he has a level of knowledge That neither I nor Chris Or anybody else that I can think of That would appear on these podcasts would have As far as the actual character concerns Like you said Chris Sometimes it's smoke screens And we don't really know what to believe Sometimes it's legit and it's not really that big of a deal sometimes it's legit and it really is a big deal but these teams pay people for a reason to look into this as if they have their own private police force and so all you can do really as far as character goes is trust those people to make the right determination as far as whether or not a certain player would fit into the locker room And with that, we wrap up part one of the Weekend Mailbag. We'll be back tomorrow, Easter Sunday, with part two. In the meantime, go ahead and check out Chris's work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter, at CNimbly. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?